Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the show, guys. In today's episode, homophobia in cycling. Why has Wahoo gone into recession? Do you have what it takes to get fit? And Chris is on Twitter. All right, let's get into it. We always find the first segment can be a little bit slow, so I thought we'd start us in really easily, really softly, and ask you the question, Jesse Coyle, is cycling homophobic? Evidently, yes. Because I have some thoughts on this, all right, and I think we should have a little little chat about it, all right? So this came up in my, well, my life because I saw down in Melbourne they were running some pride crits. Um, great concept that they were running down there. And it got me thinking about, the way that professional cycling seems to be well, handling the issue of equality. So the reality of the numbers is that there are around, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty close, I reckon, with this. I mean, it's about 300-ish World Tour professional cyclists. It'd be probably 400. Yeah, yep, 400, around okay. that. Probably, probably even more. Yeah. So tack on then, and this is just, I'm sorry, this is just in Europe. In Europe, uh, the pro-continental riders, of which there's close to 600 from what I can gather. All right. Now, according to everything I have found, not one of them is gay. Now, I, as you, would probably find that hard to believe in society that uh, one, not one in 1,000 people are gay. So it got me asking the question, why aren't any of these athletes coming out? Do they feel unsafe? Is it an issue around them keeping their job in the team? Or is it just, okay, you butt in with me when any point because – we as cyclists, and I think certainly in the, I don't know, the English-speaking world, we're kind of most of us kind of lefty, progressive thinking-ish, or at least we like to think the majority of that population is, which is interesting because then on the flip side we're saying that there's not one gay cyclist in the professional ranks amongst us. Now, the very limited experience that we've had in this, well, we've had a few um, guys who, now, it's interesting, we had a few riders on our team who came out after they were on the team. Mm. And I did ask uh, one of them why didn't he come out during the, the time that he was in the team and he just said it didn't feel relevant, didn't feel relevant to do it. I don't know, like I, I kind of putting myself sort of questioning the way maybe I approached it as a team manager and a rider at the time, did I not make it him feel comfortable doing that you know i hardly think we're sort of a macho you know rah rah 
type sport. So I, I find that interesting. That's where I went with it. Because initially when I, well, this started for me when I saw the gay pride crit thing. And I, my initial reaction was, that's weird. Like, what's that got to do with crits? Why, why not just race a crit? And then I was like, oh, then I went down the same path you did of like, I guess there are no, as far as I'm aware, gay professional cyclists. Maybe the fact that it's not uh, that it's not relevant is a is a problem. Like what the what, what was the the wording there that you said was that the rider didn't come out because he didn't feel like it was relevant. Did he didn't feel it was relevant to share. Which it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to like it shouldn't be. Re, it shouldn't be relevant in the sense that you know it doesn't need to be. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't need to be making a big deal of. But the fact that someone feels that it's irrelevant or is is a is a thing. That is a problem, isn't it? Because you don't want people to feel like it's a big deal to say they're gay. Yes. And clearly it would be if not a single pro is, as far as we're aware, is gay. For someone now to come out and if someone did, you know, you know announced it, 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 it would be a big thing, you, you, you would have thought. I, I mean, I asked him, and I don't want to make this about specifically about this person, but I, I did ask him the question, like, did he, did he feel that, it was holding his cycling career back. Now, this was a particularly talented rider and he bounced around a few teams. And I always wondered, was that because he never felt sort of comfortable enough around around that environment? And, well, he never felt comfortable to share exactly who he was is really what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, again, I kind of just keep thinking about it because it's like, well... You know, we live in this like uber progressive part of Sydney, like or at least we like to think we are. And it's like, you know, the home of the Mardi Gras is not far away from us and all the rest of it. And yet here we were kind of without any gay riders. It just seemed very odd. Yeah. Is it on? Is So is that on the rider or is that on the sport to be comfortable with that? Because that is a pretty... Uh, you know, bad situation for a rider to, to to have to just sort of float around with that. I would argue it's definitely the sport. And like you, okay, I'm as cynical as the next person and I saw these gay pride prits, crit come up and I'm like, oh, here we go, you know, <laughs> the woke crowd, blah, blah, blah. But then it kind of got, it did, it got me thinking, that's actually, that's actually what we need. Like we do need events like that that's, I suppose, and I don't know how that played out specifically not being from Melbourne, but that it, we need events like that that I suppose celebrate those riders and, you know, if you're a young 13, 14, 15-year-old, whatever it might be, cyclist in D or C grade who, you know, might be might be basically trying to come out to their parents or something like that, then an event like that can make it so much easier because, oh, shit, like I am accepted in this environment, you know? Mm, yeah, I guess, yeah, it would be nice if that, I guess that initial like, oh, that what's that got to do with anything? When if, when I first saw it, it would be nice if, if the sport was in a position where you could say that, but clearly I need to get over that because the sport isn't in a position where we can just say, ah, it's all good, you come out and, and it doesn't matter because it's not, yeah. it's, it, the sport's not there. I guess uh, from what I can tell from other sports, it really gets led by like big name players yes. coming out. And I guess that hasn't happened in cycling yet. Dead right. Absolutely dead right. And there's, there's two points I want to finish with. The first is just what you were saying. I mean, 
the riders union or whatever it is in cycling just is piss weak. Always has been, always will be. It's pathetic. Um, it's not going to be a rider-led movement, I don't think, this. The second thing that really bothers me, the more I thought about this, that bugs me about it is obviously um, we've, we've been, we've sort of not bothered about talking about it too much, but the, the um, Middle Eastern money coming into the sport, especially at the top ranks, is going to be the next wave of how this sport's financed. I think that's pretty obvious, right? Mm. That's going to be a problem in this space, you know. I mean, the reality is that is if you come out as a – Jesse Coyle comes out, you know, as a developing cyclist, I can guarantee you right now UAE are not going to pick you up. I doubt even Ineos are probably picking you up because the money that backs those teams is coming from those countries. Oh, oh that's a big call. No, nah, that's not a big call. It's not, <laughs> it, a big call. not for the UAE, not for the yeah teams from the from the Middle East. I mean, but the, the Ineos one, you you yeah, you'd think it's starting now. I mean, yeah. Ineos, you know, you've got Jayco. They've they've got their money from there they as do, well. They do. They do. They um, do. Well, that actually on that, it it is kind of. This is slightly different, but you know they're doing like a UAE women's tour this year, which is another whole thing. Like, yeah, of it's course. getting it's getting more muddled. The whole, um, you know, that whole side of things. Like, what what do you mean a women's tour in the UAE? It doesn't make like it, on the face of things, it makes no sense. I should I should just quickly say when it when it does come to riders coming out, I was speaking um, about the male peloton. There are uh, female cyclists who have come out. Um, I did – I look, I did an Instagram kind of search on that and I could find half a dozen. Um, so it does seem to be in a different place in general in the women's peloton. But I would argue that it, that um, that issue is in a different place in women's sport, full stop, than it is in, in men's sport. So um, I think we've got a lot of catching up to do there. All right, guys, uh, love to hear your thoughts. I'd actually really love to hear your thoughts on this. What's the situation in your local area? Um, are you seeing a specifically sort of young cyclists um, comfortable to, to come out and, and be themselves in this environment? Um, let us know your thoughts. Chris, you're on Twitter. I am. I'm back. Back, back on Twitter or you're on Twitter? Well, so I was on Twitter back when Lance was uh, telling me what he was up to come back. To, in fact, that's why I got on Twitter. Lance got me on Twitter when he made his, announced his comeback. I was like, oh, my God, the God is back. <laughs> and, yeah, I followed him. And uh, then I – look, I lost it. I, I lost it just because it was a – it just seemed like a jumbled mess. I never seemed to be able to work out – I didn't know what I was doing with it. So – you're on there. Right? Uh, I feel like on. I need to be back. Yeah, let, I yeah. want to be your Twitter coach. Okay. Okay. What are you? Are you? Is it for cycling content? You're on there. What are you? In, what are you into? I'm I'm fully there for cycling content. Um, and yeah, look, there's there's a bit of tech stuff on there. Don't don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you got to do? You got to treat your Twitter like your TikTok, which you don't have, <laughs> or your Instagram uh, reels or explore. You got to let the other algorithm take the wheel and drive you into the sunset. So. <laughs> Get on there now. F- find a few people to follow that are in the spaces you're in. So you're on there. So you probably follow uh, who's big um, Benji from Lantern Rouge. Follow him. Tweets a lot. Um, pick your sort of niche in cycling too. So I'm into the sort of the sports science stuff. So once you follow a few sort of sports scientists that tweet about cycling related things, a few coaches, and then the algorithm does the work. Right. So you really don't need to follow or go out and find that many people. Just follow a few key people in cycling. 
Um, so from the pro cycling side, there's plenty of sort of commentary uh, channels on that on that front. Go and follow a few and then interact with the tweets. So the tweets you like, literally go and like them and the algorithm will do do the work. It's not like Instagram where you sort of go and follow. It, it, it'll drive it for you. Do I engage, this is the, what some people said, do I, do I get into the conversations? No. Ooh. It is a spectator sport. Oh. It is a spectator sport. So you, you basically feed the algorithm beast with the likes and that's it. So no one cares what Chris Miller's tweeting. No. Unless you're going to go in there and do something every day, you don't need to do that. It's kind of like YouTube. You just got popcorn and you're on the sidelines. Yeah. So like the stuff that you like. So you let the, give the algorithm a pat on the back and then you just sit back and watch. The reason I'm back, right, the reason I'm back is I feel like I'm missing... I'm missing out on the controversies. Yep. Like the sort of like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so did what. Like the Remco stuff that we were talking about the other week, you drew that to my attention, which had sort of blown up a bit on Twitter, right? Okay, whereas I'd always thought about it in the past about like people posting about what they're having for breakfast and stuff like that. It's it's not that now. It's it's topical. It's conversational, right? Yeah, okay. because it's algorithm-based. So you'll get – if I open my Twitter feed – Probably two thirds of the stuff I see, I don't even follow the people. It's but it's just it's still super relevant for me. The algorithm is really good, and that's how like you see all the controversy straight away because the feed just sends them to you. You pick them up. People like so they're I assume they're like Twitter influencers and yep. stuff. Yep. So that's so they've reached God level where they There's can God kind level. of. There's people like usernames and um, Twitter profile icons that I would recognize instantly. I've got no idea who they are. Absolutely no idea. As far as I'm concerned, they don't exist outside Twitter, especially in pro cycling. There's some real niche accounts on there that do like, especially the accounts that do the, the watts per kilo calculations and stuff like that. And just just quickly before I before I leave the, the Twitter chat, it's not particularly relevant to Twitter, but so uh, we got blacklisted by GCN. You got blacklisted, got blacklisted by GCN. Sorry, I got blacklisted <laughs> by GCN, yeah. The, the sad, cynical part of me went back and had a look the other week because I did get contacted by a couple of GCN employees after that video and uh, I subsequently went back and had a look and you know how like the GCN app sort of yeah. highlights... You're talking about... Explain what you mean by blacklisted. All right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the app obviously highlights um, content creators and when they put a video up, it'll often put that into the GCN feed, which is a huge feed, right? Like it's a, it's a big deal to sort of get on that feed. Um, ever since we put that video on, I went back and had a look through. Not one, not one video has gone up. So sadly, there has been consequences for oh my actions. Oh dear. I know, apologies. <laughs> but like putting that aside, guys, I would really love to know, I would really love to know what kind of account should I be following here on Twitter? I want to be right at the cutting edge. Who's doing what? Get me involved. Give me five Twitter followers. I just want to chat about training. Mm-hmm. Riding your bike. Mm-hmm. Training hard. Mm. Because we've done a lot of training related content recently. You did a bloody good video on it. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, I did well. I'm really happy with that one. Um, but there's this a very small minority of people that seem to be deluded about how much time they have to train and where they could get to with their training. And I want to just, I want to chat about it, right? So the comment goes along the lines of, well, it's all well and good for you to do this training, but I can only train eight hours a week. Or if I could train 20 hours a week, I'd be at 380 watt FTP, things along those lines. And I don't think people are willing to make a sacrifice to train because they say these comments to me 
and having been in different sports for a long time, I've seen people who make it work. And um, I coach some people that make it work. And these are people that work full time, maybe even have kids. But just I'm speaking to a very small minority of people that leave those comments. There are people in the same life situation as you that train more than you because they make more sacrifices and they're more disciplined. And it just, it, it irks me when people leave those comments like, oh, I'm just too busy. I'm like, well, what does that say about, how do you think that makes the person that is in the same situation at you, as you, but goes out and gets it done anyway? Because it, it, it almost kind of, you're just making excuses for the sake of it. Now, uh, let, me, let me go into it, right? One example I want to give is when I was rowing, um, rowing, all, we, we, you train out of a boat shed. And there's, you mix between all the people. So I'd be in there as a, you know, a junior and you'd be in there with Olympians. And there was one Olympian that stood out, Chris Morgan. At, rowing is an amateur sport. So in an Olympic year, you'll, you'll train full-time. You'll probably stop your job. But on the non-Olympic years, you've got to work full-time because you don't make a living. So I remember Chris because he worked full-time in Sydney in the city. So he, this was his routine. Wake up, ride to the boat shed get ready, go out and row for an hour and a half, commute into the city to work. He worked, he was like an engineer, I think for refrigerators or something like that. He would work his full day shift. After work, get back on his bike, ride to the boat shed, do his second session of the day, which would be either weights or on the erg, on the rowing machine, and then ride home. So his day would start at 4.30, he'd work full day, and he'd probably get home at eight o'clock at night. Now, when you've seen someone do that day in, day in, day in, day in, when someone else in the comments comes along and goes, oh, I just don't really have time. It's like, well, you do have time. You just aren't willing or can't go through the discipline to get it done. And yeah, I guess um, that's sort of the first level I wanted of what I wanted to say. But this is where I think there's almost another level of delusion, right? Because you, it's all well and good to say to that person, you can do it, right? Like you can do it. If you just make more sacrifices, you can get more hours done. I mean, I coach some people that train like, not quite like that because that's very rare, but do a lot of training with a very busy schedule. So it is possible. And I'm not one of those people because I'm lucky in that my work and my writing is quite flexible, but there are people that get it done, right? But the question that I feel like doesn't get asked of you know this minority of people that leave the comments is, why do you want to do yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's the interesting. Yeah, why it's to generalize the sort of personality type that can do that and stick with it is generally, uh, I would say, probably more introverted, like you're spending a lot of time with yourself when you're doing that. Probably some sort of addictive sort of personality, almost what you'd consider like in some extreme cases would be almost like on the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. like that repetitive, obsessive personality it's sort of what it takes to stick with that. So, yeah, I just think people kind of probably need to ask themselves firstly before they leave that comment of like, could I be doing more to do the training? Yes. And then it's, well, why do I want to do that? And do I have the personality to stick it out? Because I think a lot of people probably don't have that. Ultimately, what that's, I, I mean, this, <laughs> where do I start with that? <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's one of the, the things that y- you can see under any any day in the life videos, you will automatically see that, oh, it's, well, it's good for you for, for insert reason here or, you know, my life's different because insert reason here. And it's, 
it's kind of funny. It's always it's why I've I've found those those videos on YouTube to be amazing. How in terms of how many people watch them because I think people are watching them for uh, like a a trick or there's some sort of magic like clue to how to unlock the day, whereas it just hmm. isn't. And it does. Yeah. It comes back to this thing of like, well, why? Why do you why do you actually want this? And much of it, much of it, I do think comes back to, like you said, the type of person that that does it, that obsessive person. And I know you want to talk about one particular obsessive person because I think that fits the the bill of this really well. Mm, it does. So that person that I want to talk about is Jay Vine, and the prime example of this because people. I've been guilty of it too. You look at the result he gets mm. at the end stage and you go, oh, like that could have been me. Like people, you know, I've done it before. Oh, that could have been me. Oh, that looks so awesome. I'm so jealous. But what you don't see is all the shit he's had to do to get there. And the prime one, in terms, if we're talking about sacrifice, back in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was 2020 where Jay was basically doing the NRS, there was the Sun Tour, and then at the end of the year it was Rift Academy and he he didn't go to university, but he was so he was working while he was writing. And in 2020, he stopped his job, and he was living off Bree, who was still working full time at the time. They both lived off her single income, and with almost like a talk about risk and talk about sacrifice, they lived off that income, both of them, so Jay could train and recover full time with this very minute pipe dream of winning Zwift Academy and going pro. And he did that for an entire year and, and it worked out for him. And that's what people, when you see him up on the podium and he's won something, you, that's what people forget. And I think there's almost, there's a delusion to some degrees that, you know, maybe I've been guilty of where you kind of go, oh, if I could have just, you know, stuck with it a bit more or done this or done that. But it's like, you know, I I'm, wouldn't, I've never risked what, he, you know, that type of risk he's he's made and most people wouldn't. I would push back and say that, not every professional cyclist has to have lived that life. Um, I do think that, like we said in the beginning, okay, this goes to a little bit probably not where you wanted this conversation to go, but I do think that type of personality is the type of personality that succeeds from Australia or from America, somewhere that you need to be totally obsessed to even to cut through because it's so difficult to cut through from here. Your, your, your opportunities are so limited. If, if you're in a different circumstance, potentially if you're in Europe, I think you can be a different person. I don't think you have to be that uber obsessive. You, pro- you still need drive, you still need passion, but I, I do definitely think that you can have a different, a different love for the sport. I would argue that like Jay and that type of person don't necessarily love cycling. Like that, that's, that's not their, <laughs> their passion, right? Yeah. Um, I, I do think that that type of personality can succeed. They still want it, but they probably want it in a different different light. So I don't know. I just wanted to push back on you a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah, he did choose sort of the hardest path, but um, well, it was the only path yeah, available. The only to path him. that was going to work. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it does. It is sort of like. But just coming back to the okay, for example, the riding in the middle of the day thing. Have you, has this got you thinking personally, right? I'm not going to put my rides up on Strava. I don't want to like sort of be here sort of big noting myself, but I just, like the story of why I can train in the day is I was work. This is, again, it's this sort of like the, the end reality 
is sort of attractive, but people don't see the like what it takes. Yeah, the dream is sort of more attractive than the actual reality. So like a few years ago, I was working, coaching. I didn't have enough riders to do it full time. So I was working two jobs and, you know, normal job where I had to commute and things like that. And then I wanted to have to coach full time so I could have, well, because I wanted to do it, but also the flexibility is nice to have. And then I started doing fastest probably best way to do that is people need to know who you are and the best way to do that is youtube so i started making youtube videos every day and i did it every day and it was and that was still when i was coaching and i was working the second job and then at night i would make videos and i did it for okay thankfully they worked pretty well i didn't have to do it for like six years for it to kick off but there was a good eight months of pretty much doing a video every day um and it got to the point where yeah i could coach full-time and then that gave me the flexibility where I could ride in the middle of the day. But so when it really irks me when someone's like, well, you know, you're just lucky because you get to, you know, you can ride with everyone. I'm like, I didn't all, I didn't just trip and fall and suddenly I'm, I can ride whenever I want. Like I'm at here because I set it as a goal and I made sacrifices earlier in, you know, years before to get here. And it just bugs me when now you can see I'm triggered, right? So <laughs> when I see the comments along those lines, I'm, I'm just like, just reality check yourself on, you know, could you, if you, you know, if you want to ride 15 hours a week and you only ride eight, you probably bloody can, but it's going to be hard to do. And if you do go ahead, so go ahead and do that. But then question yourself, why do you want to do that? Is it worth it? Do you have the personality that's going to be able to do that? Maybe, maybe not. So I just think, yeah, I just throw away comments. Just the only people that don't really fall into that basket, I think are younger riders. So up and coming riders, probably people just leaving school or in uni who already have more time. For those sorts of riders, I think don't question yourself. Just give it a crack because it may go somewhere, it may not, but you'll probably have fun along the way and you've got the time. So I really am speaking to the the career, the people with careers, the older sort of people that do need to make decisions around what they do with their time. So this is the uh, pro cycling wrap up you're gonna get on the Nero show. Tour Down Under. Mm. Would you rather win the Tour Down Under or win Australian Road Nationals if you were pro? Road Nationals. But I'm only gonna say Road Nationals because, ah, no, how do I, look, Chris sitting here right now would say Tour Down Under. Okay, I would say to another, but that's only knowing what I know from the last few months. Like having seen a little bit behind the scenes of, of what it means for a professional to win a world to a race. Okay, whereas it means less, I'm going to be honest, like for your salary, basically, to win a national title. That's that's the absolute reality of it. You get a salary bump for winning winning a world tour. Right? But if I was just a, a fan, I'm like, you get to wear that. That jersey for like a year, totally yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. I th- I was gonna say, oh, as tough as it is to say, I think I think road champ, like to, yeah, to get to wear the kit is oh, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting in terms of what that means, like how you then fit into the peloton, because mm-hmm. Dan, who was working with Astana at Tour Down Under, was saying a lot of the riders now, because uh, Jay won the Walter stages. A lot of them know who Jay is and a lot of them don't know who they're like Luke who Luke Plapp they don't really know who he is because he hasn't won uh, like a stage or you know a world tour sort of event so in terms of uh, profile in the little bubble that is the That's pro cycling yeah. it does more for you winning a world tour race because as well like I mean the Australian Nationals is quite a big one 
relatively. But like, who's the, you know, who's the Spanish national champion? Like, we probably couldn't name them. And it's probably the same for every other country. Now, who's the Australian national champion? Luke Platt? Maybe, like, people aren't going to know that. So it's definitely, a, we'd probably be, I think most people that aren't Australian would say winning the Tour Down Unders. Yeah. The bigger one. Though, I mean, Tour Down Under does get a bit of a pushback from a lot of fans is like, ugh, it's just the summer holiday that sort of happens before the season really starts. And yeah, there is potentially an argument for that. But just on the national champs things, it's clear, I, I feel like it's going to be different from country to country. Like, I, I know for a fact that the US road champs jersey is a massive deal, an absolute massive deal and would mm. probably usurp a lot of one-week stage races. No two ways about it. Um, whereas like, and you'd probably say the same for the French national championships jersey. Mm. but um, Belgium, Dutch. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But just having, then, but then I, I think winning like a Belgium national champs jersey is probably going to do something for your, for your salary in comparison to what the Australian one does. I'm surprised that like, Winning an Australian champs doesn't do anything monet, anything monetary salary wise compared to winning like a. But it's no look. Yeah, hand <laughs> me, me. Did you get a? Surely salary there's bump? like, especially for like you know for Pinarello for Plappy to be ro- rolling around in that white, green and gold <laughs> Pinarello. Like there is literal value being added from him winning that. So I'd be surprised if that didn't get carried over into some sort of bonus. Can I just give Luke a shout? Not sure. that he doesn't. Like get shouts, but like the fact that so we we did the video the day after or a couple of days after national champs, and I just messaged him on on Instagram and said, "Mate, like you're in the thirties, talk me through it." And he did. He just replied and said, "Look, you know, yeah, we decided to run the thirties. We kind of thought that it was going to be as fast, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I'm like, "This is the day after he won nationals," <laughs> and he's like sending me this two minute audio message about like t- two sloppers like us. I'm like that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so shout, Luke. Um, and, but the only other thing I will say is that I reckon one of the reasons that we're kind of obsessed with the race here is because it's such a fucking hard race. Mm. Like if you – and it's such an awesome race to watch. It's one of the few races in Australia where it's like on prime time, Sunday afternoon, like there's no other sport on. It's on a main – well, it's on like a free-to-air TV channel. It's like – big ups you know mm-hmm. whereas like if you you know even jay winning the stage of the vuelta you like had to be in the cycling space to kind of even watch that you know mm. so yeah yeah, that's true yeah and and as well the thing about the course that you kind of mentioned was interesting like if it was just a flat course and it was a sprint to maybe i'm biased but i don't think that would be as big deal no i agree. win a bunch kick definitely yeah. yeah which brings up the next sort of uh yeah like Jeez, where, what was that segue go? I was going to go like Roubaix or because okay, oh, we. Oh <laughs> no, we genuinely. I used to ask guys in the team, young guys in the team, um, you know, on the long drives down the Hume to some sort of shithole to go to a bike race, and one of the questions would be like Monument or National Champs, and I guarantee you, like at least half of them would say National Champs. It's because they're retarded. Yeah. Who would win the Nationals <laughs> over a Monument? <laughs> But like, yeah, there you go. So that, I mean, that's the kind of esteem that's sort of held. Harry in. Roubaix or world champs? Yeah. yeah, we'd be here all. <laughs> we'd be here for three hours. We should, yeah. Talk anyway, about. guys, let us know. Um, obviously, we've got a few people from all around the world. Let us know. Is it is it a, a national champs jersey or is it 
your local one-week stage race. There isn't a one-week stage race in the US anymore, is there? Nope. Chris, I need your help here. Mm. I need you to shine some light. So it looks like Wahoo, the business of Wahoo, isn't doing too well. And I, I can't get my head around it because Wahoo, in my opinion, is almost changed some aspects of cycling tech. Like, if you, even if you look at their trainer, they've almost done the Kleenex of the tissue. Like, if you for some people, when they say trainer, they actually say kicker. Like, it's almost renamed the, the, that segment of the market. The kicker is the trainer. The, the Wahoo, the Bolt, is, is for, some, for, for Garmin, who had a total monopoly on it, and now a lot of people prefer Wahoo with the Bolts and the Elements... Um, some of their products change cycling. I, I, I don't understand why I'm seeing news stories that Wahoo isn't doing well when they have such exceptional products. What, what's so let's, going let's, on? There's, there's a word for this, isn't there, where, where the company becomes, or the product becomes yeah. actually the thing. So I'll give you some other ones, right? The Hoover. Vacuum. Mm. Is it uh, is it yep. still the uh, is it still kicking around yeah, doing? My dad would say uh, the Hoover. Get the Hoover out. Yeah, yep. exactly. But it's been usurped now. Um, you've got what about GoPro? Okay, the GoPro. Oh yeah, the GoPro. And and that's the there's the action yeah. cam. And yeah. what's 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 all consistent about a lot of these is that one product does not make a successful company. So yeah, you're right. The so we'll pull up the notes on this one. So SMP have downgraded Wahoo's credit racing rating, I should say, to a triple C. I would 100% Jesse Coyle, 100% push back at you, at you for their products because... Fight me. Let's go. Any, any look at their... Okay, let's, let's go through them, all right? All right. Let's go through them. The, the, everything, so you've got the Bolt version yep. one. Fantastic. Yep. Brilliant. Fantastic. Do you know how old that is now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to. It's, it's seven years old. <sighs> it's okay. seven years old, yep. right? Um, and sadly, it is still as good as their version two. There's been no product development to that to that at all. I mean, the, the version two was bigger bezels. Anyway, I won't go into that rant mm-hmm. again. Yep. So yep. the Wahoo Rival, which was their smartwatch, okay, yep. Fantastic piece of hardware. If you go look at DC Rainmaker's review on that when he first released it, he was like, this is a great starting point. Yep. There's a lot of work to be done here. They haven't done any work on it. And from what I read, the Rival, the whole sort of um, team that was there to build Rival have been disbanded, so that won't go on any further. Mm -hmm. Um, The Kicker Desk came out in 2015 Mm -hmm. and has not received one update. So it's How do you update a desk? <laughs> well, everyone else seems to. Okay. You've also got the fan. So there was a oh, fan. Oh, the headwind. Yep. yep. That's the kicker headwind. Being yep. usurped by Elite. Um, and yep. the kicker core, version two. So that's the yep. most recent kicker. Is four mm-hmm. years old. So there's been right. no okay. product development okay. in that space either. Mm-hmm. So Zip, it, well, got, yeah, Zip have sued them or tried to sue them over damaging the, the wheels, rear wheels on some of the trainers. But like, okay, even putting all the products aside for a moment, this is what actually really shits me, right? Because as a consumer, we've, we got screwed on the way, their way up 
and we're going to get screwed on their way down. So on their way up, like back in the COVID days, right, they were printing money. Like they could literally not make enough trainers to keep up with the demand. So what happened? Trainer prices go up. Fantastic. Delightful. Great. Cool. Um, then they used that money to overextend themselves and I think they went and bought um, – who did they go and buy? The speed play. Speed play. They got the, pedal, they got the pedals. They yeah, went the they pedals go. and they also went and bought the – I think the, the Sufferfest program to do oh, this yep. Wahoo X thing. So they've overinvested in a lot of these areas, which is one of the reasons why they have no money now. Okay. So what happens now on the way down is that we will lose again because – the product development won't exist. There won't be enough products to go around and ultimately that will just mean prices go up. So you'll have less product development and you'll have less prices. So I don't know. I kind of feel a bit shitty about this. Maybe I'm in my dream. Now I'm starting to think of all that because you start, I'm like, oh yeah, they do have that product. I'm like, this is a weird web of like pedals and they got then they released the roller, which that was a recent one, which seems to be a dud. I haven't heard anything about it. Like why does anyone want rollers anymore? Um, but the thing that I that you kind of touched on that I thought was interesting is they've done the opposite of the rest of the bike industry, which they've actually made their products too good. So, like the original kicker, I've got a kicker core from five years ago. There is literally no reason for me to upgrade. It's too, it's good. I've got the original bolt from seven years ago. No reason to upgrade. It's just as good. Whereas, like when you buy a bike. Pretty much there's always some dinky bit that you kind of like two years later, you're like, oh, that sucks and you want to upgrade. I feel like they did it too good to start with and they gave us way too much value and now we have no reason to upgrade. Yeah, and it's it's pretty clear they want to move into some sort of like subscription-based revenue model. That's why (sighs) they're going down the route of the Wahoo X, which is like their Zwift um, competitor which pro all understanding does give you a bit more of a structured workout ability in that space. So that's clearly the angle that they're going. People stop competing with Zwift. You're not going to win. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's why this company is going to fall over. I mean, did I call that when we actually did that? I think it was the first video and you were like, this Vault version 2 is a piece of shit. And I'm like, yeah, because the company's going to go bankrupt. And this is why, because they're just flapping their hands about now going, we need to get a subscription model, we need to get a subscription model. But they're not going to compete with Zwift, I'm sorry. Like, no one is. Right. Uh, Yeah. Bugger. And and it is. Don't get me wrong, like, it's really sad because we we need Wahoo. We need Wahoo to be good. We need Wahoo to be creating really good, innovative products because you're right, when that element, that bolt came out, we're like... Oh my god, this just works. How good's this? <laughs> yeah. We need these things to to live. We need these things to survive. I don't understand why they haven't worked more closely with other wearables and try and integrate their app onto things like the Apple Watch and stuff like that, but clearly that's not happening. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, for me, if it's left to just Garmin to just dominate this field, then I think we're all going to be losers, you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, hopefully they can scramble together and Come back to life because, yeah, I, I, as you can tell, big fan of the, some of the products. Like it's, it's funny, like I was looking at some of the comments under the, the article saying, you know, bad things for Wahoo, blah, blah, blah. And like this, every second or third comment was like, oh, that's a real shame. I still really love my Element Bolt. 
<laughs> and it's like, well, there's the problem. <laughs> Everyone's still just got that because you've created nothing that's anyway good since. Yeah. Or better than, I should say, because it was. It was it was damn good, you know? Mm. So, yeah, anyway, that's uh, that's a wahoo. Thank you for your insights there, Chris. I researched that, Jesse. Mm. So are we allowed to talk about uh, unsanctioned um, club rides on this channel anymore? No, we're going to be bullied off it. You, we're going to stick to sanctioned, sanctioned. this time. Because we, we, it's been a long time. We went out last Saturday and did a club ride, a club chop-off, Centennial Park Cycling Club. It was fun. It was, it was really fun. And it's been a long time since I've done one. And I thought, but here's the thing. I think there's still room for improvement in that ride. Mm-hmm. So let's go through for a club ride. What are the rules or tips to make them good? What do we love about them? Duration, first one. How long are they? I think they need to be long enough where you get a good workout in, so at least about 45 minutes, but not too long. Because mm. we got half an hour into that ride on the weekend, and I looked and I'm like, we've only been going for half an hour. I'm already totally cooked. So I think 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes is the sweet spot for the actual sort of chop-off race portion of the ride. I think that's the bit to just highlight, though. We, we are talking about... We're talking about a drop ride here. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. This isn't this isn't a tootle out to the. Well, when I say drop ride, yes, I mean a, a fast paced ride. It's not yes. a tootle out to the, the coffee shop and back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep. So okay. we're aiming for. So if we say for that section that you're racing for, I reckon I don't think it is a drop ride because I say you're aiming for the fastest average speed mm. because there are some. They were saying when we did the ride, they were like, oh, this is different to usual. They usually race up the climbs and then there'll be a bit of a regrouping at the top and it will sort of carry on. So that's the drop ride. I, I say doing it more towards a higher average speed is is better. Firstly, because it's more inclusive and it keeps the group together. And if you're one of the stronger riders in the group, you actually don't want to drop the slower people. It's more fun to have the group together. More people can join in. If you just kind of rip up the first, second climb and suddenly there's four people left, it's not it's not that good. So I, I say if you're the stronger in the group, drill the flats, drill the downhills. If you're one of the weaker riders in the group, you know, save energy on, and then try and cling on on the, on the uphills because the group wants you to be there. That's mm-hmm. what makes it a lot of fun. Can I add it? Can I add one? Can yep. I add one in? Yep. So I agree with you. I think fast paced, but what you want to do is think about the route because you are going to drop people. The guy, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I want to see people redline. I want to see them blow up, but you want to give them the opportunity to get back on. So I like little out and back sections where that possibility comes in. So it's it's either either you're doing a circle or yeah you're doing an out and back down a down a straight street turn around come back so the drop person can get back on so that's yeah that's that's my tip there definitely that was fantastic we went and did this loop around La Perouse and basically it's that it's sort of like a main route and then there's all these little divot bits so guys are getting dropped they just cut across and then they join back in you know five minutes later it was really good yep um okay. <clears throat> If it's less than about eight people, it needs to be single file. There's, especially in a group, there's a temptation to kind of stay too abreast and go fast. Screw that. As soon as you've set the point where the ride starts, single file, stretch it out and not rolling turns. That's the other thing, especially if it's, if it's more than eight, you can probably roll less than eight. It's just pull a turn, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, swing off, join on the back. 
Uh, I think that needs to definitely be that, especially for the smaller groups. Yep. Where are you with sprints? Because mm. my, my only complaint from the ride on the weekend was that there were these – there were like intermediate sprint points. <laughs> yes. I was like, I'm going for the green jersey here. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And I – okay, my theory on this is one or two sprint points max, but they're at the end. Like – they're at the they're the very last bit. It's it's you've you've got nothing left. You have a crack and and that's it. A midway sprint point? No, not for me. Uh, I'm going to go one step further. No sprints. Yeah, I agree. It is a chop off. It is a group ride. There should be no sprints. If you finish, because you're going for the highest average speed, right? So once that sec that sort of defined section is finished. Go do a few sprints after if, for whoever's interested. As far as I'm concerned, the sprint should be winning because all that happens is like in the five minutes before the sprint point, people start to get a bit cagey because they want to do well in the sprint and then the speed drops. So I think it should be zero sprints is the rule. And on that as well, define the start and end point of the ride so you can make a Strava segment for it. And then every time you do that ride, you can compare the, the Ooh, speed. Oh, good call. Yeah. Very so it's got to be like, okay, we start literally at this shop and then know exactly where it ends. Yep. Only thing I'll add as well, if you are one of the slower riders in the group, you don't need to pull a turn. Like It can be your goal just to suck the wheels as best you can, do as little amount of energy expenditure as possible, and just get to the finish. I think there's a yeah, bit of a tendency for people to always feel like they need to contribute, chop off till you drop off. I think that's crap. If you want to suck the wheels, goal sh- the first goal should just be get to the end. Then you can think about pulling turns. Yep. And you got, oh, the way I'd sort of think about that is you, you're, the group here is trying to get the fastest average speed as possible. If you don't think you're going to help that, then don't. Um, and that's definitely the case when it comes to like corners and things like that. If you're a little bit sort of newer to it, don't sort of roll up to like second wheel and then be, un, be sort of cautious through the corner, drop the wheel of the guy in front. It kind of slows everything down. So that would be my kind of theory there. But the question I was going to ask you is that, you know, we're back in these. I rate them. I think they're super fun. But, like, as a coach, do you are you able to factor these into people's training sessions? Like, how, how do you sort of approach that? It's actually really easy. Just well, if I'm a coach, I say go out on that, go as hard as you can. I just make that an intense session for the week. Right. trying to dicky around with it and do i'll make it like just sit on and try and make it really easy <laughs> especially for some of the it doesn't work you're better off just using it as intensity for the week and yep. carrying on so that was super fun but i genuinely feel especially where we did the ride i'm gonna keep doing it but i feel like that's one of the most dangerous rides i could do and i find it interesting that that is the those sorts of rides uh, is where a b- beginner would start because there are hundreds of intersections and roundabouts along that route. And that's where personally I feel you're most likely to come into a collision collision with a car. And anecdotally from pretty much every story here of someone's crashing, it's like, oh, a car didn't see me in a roundabout or car pulled through a stop sign. So yeah, wh- where are you at on that? Do you Does it make you think twice? 100%. Or you just, just go? 100% the, the main reason I would have avoided that stuff in the past frightens the living daylights out of me um yeah it's uh it's not only the cars it's the the other riders um i've found that particularly difficult and i ran a camera during the last one and i didn't want to look at some of the footage back of it because you're just like you're going through some of these intersections and you're like 
Jesus, I wonder if a you know, car comes from there. What happens? Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, here we are saying that it's bloody brilliant, get into it, and then <laughs> literally turn around the next breath and say it's dangerous. I don't know. Well, we, but we have trust. You've got to kind of trust the group you're in. That's the other thing is I've, uh, like, we've ridden together so much, so I kind of had trust that you kind of know what I'm going to, if, if I see a car, we, have, we both had a pretty good track record with crashing. So you kind of got to be like comfortable with the group you're in. So yeah, that I'll keep doing that one on Saturday because I feel like the group that the Centennial Park crew is pretty safe with it. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, let us know guys uh, down below. Club rides, are they back? Did they ever go anywhere? Let us know. And a quick shout to the big ride for little kids, which is starting in March. I'll drop all the links to that down below. Thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.